Uh, now, I have the privilege of introducing our special preacher today who's going to bring the word. I could say a lot, but I'll try to keep it concise because Bobby, Pastor Bobby Blakey, he and I go way back, actually his family. I went to seminary with us, his dad, Bruce Blakey, 25 plus years ago. Then I ended up uh, serving with Bruce at a church in San Antonio, Texas, where Bruce still serves. I was there for three years as associate pastor and elder. At that time, Bobby Blakey was in my youth group. I was also the youth pastor, and I was Bobby's youth pastor. Um, then, um, oh, also, uh, Pastor Bruce Blakey spoke at our five-year anniversary five years ago right here. He's our guest, did a wonderful job. He taught for a little bit at the Master Seminary where our very own J.R. Cuevas took a class from uh, Pastor Bruce Blakey, so he was blessed. It was just a few years ago where we had Roberta Blakey, Bobby's mother, who uh, taught at one of our GBF women's retreats and did a fantastic job. And she's she's a model, godly woman right out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. Um, as I, Oh, I was also, I'll go back a little bit. Uh, 25 years ago when I was in seminary, I was also at Grace Community Church, and I worked in children's ministry there. And actually there for the first time was when I met Bobby Blakey, and I was like his, his children's pastor I was when he was like fifth and sixth grade. And what he remembers most about all the years that I've taught him is I taught him how to play red light, green light, I think, he told me, uh, not theology. Um, I was, then I was blessed years later to reconnect to be his youth pastor, and then years went by, and God brought me out to California, and I was in Los Altos as a pastor overseeing family ministries. I needed a youth pastor, and so I hired Bobby uh, to be my youth pastor after he graduated from the master's college, and that was a blessing. He did a fantastic job. We served about three years there. Uh, for a little bit, he lived in the McManus house and lived to tell about it, so that was a delight to have him there. Uh, it was Bobby who God used to introduce us to, I was looking as the pastor of family ministries, I was looking for a middle school pastor, and Bobby introduced me to his very good friend, Derek Brown, at the time, fresh out of the master's college, and that's where Derek and I met, and so me, Bobby, and Derek, the uh, we served together there along with Sherry Lee right here in uh, Los Altos. That was a blessing. Uh, Bobby has... Two younger brothers, uh, Billy. I was Billy's youth pastor back in San Antonio. Billy is now, uh, Bobby hired Billy to be an associate pastor at his current church. And Bobby has another brother named Ben or Benny. And I was Ben's children's pastor, youth pastor. And now uh, Bob also hired Ben uh, not too long ago to be youth uh, or music minister at their church down at Compass Bible Church in Southern California. So uh, Bruce and Roberta Blakey had three boys, Bobby. Billy, Ben, they raised them in the Lord, and they all right now are full-time in ministry in Southern California. It's pretty amazing and quite a blessing to see what God has done with their family over the the last 25 years. Uh, Bobby left working for me in this area about 10 years ago to be a youth pastor at Compass Bible Church in Southern California. Did that for, among other things, for about eight years, and then that church sent him out two years ago to do a church plant in Huntington Beach where he's been for two years church plant. Now there are up to 700 people. God is blessing. He serves alongside his younger brother, Billy, full-time pastor, and big brother tell, Billy does what big brother tells him to do. So that's quite a blessing as they serve together there. Uh, if you go on their website, you might be aware or familiar with a tool that God has used. Bob has a heart of, for evangelism, and they have the evangelism ice cream truck. 
at their church, and God's been using that. It's just a simple tool to talk to folks in the neighborhood, and God has blessed that ministry. And it's kind of in keeping with what Bobby wants to share with us from God's Word, from the heart of Jesus, about how to have the right kind of evangelistic love for those that don't know Christ yet. So, Bobby, it is our delight to have you come bring the Word to us, brother. Let's hear it for Bobby. Well, greetings. If you will, grab your Bible and open it up to Matthew chapter 9, which we read earlier. Uh, it is an honor to be here with you. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. My heart overflows, even if we haven't met yet. Uh, we have something in common in that I love Pastor Cliff. Anybody want to say amen to that here, here at church? Uh, and, I mean, it's true what he said. Most important thing he ever taught me was red light, green light. If you have never played red light, green light with Pastor Cliff, you are really missing out on one of life's great pleasures. Uh, I still use some of the tricks he taught me in red light, green light to this very day. So, uh, But he taught me, obviously, a lot more than that. And uh, I left, like he said, about 10 years ago. I moved down to Orange County where I've been serving at Compass Bible Church. And so to be here 10 years later, uh, and just to think about the conversations that I had with Pastor Cliff and Pastor Derek, and then to see Grace Bible Fellowship in action today, to see what God has done over the last decade, uh, we give the glory to God. It is awesome to see what he's doing here among you. Let me read our text again as we dive into it this morning. Uh, follow along with me. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, And he's teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So as we gather to fellowship, as we gather to worship, our goal is to see Jesus Christ, see him risen, see him exalted, and to worship him. But today we have a unique opportunity. Today we get to see what Jesus saw. When he looked at the crowd, when he saw people What was Jesus' response? What did he think? This is an amazing passage because it puts us into the mind of Christ and we get to see through his eyes. We know that big crowds followed Jesus. We know that multitudes came to hear him teach. He taught as one who had authority. Unlike the religious leaders of the day, he taught straight from the word of God. And so crowds gathered to hear him proclaim the gospel, as it says in verse 35. And not only was he proclaiming the gospel, he's doing miracles. He's healing diseases. He's healing afflictions. Anyone who comes to him is being healed. He's multiplying food and he's feeding thousands. And the fame and the reputation of Jesus is spreading far and wide. And so by the hundreds and by the thousands, they come to see Jesus. But when Jesus sees them, when he sees them gathering around right before he gives the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps... Here's what it says Jesus thinks, how Jesus feels. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had, key word here, compassion for them. 
I mean, when he saw the crowds and he saw their spiritual condition, it, it was like he felt the pain of the crowd within himself. The word here for compassion in the Greek, maybe you're familiar with it or you've heard it before. It's a word that literally means our bowels. OK, it's talking about that feeling you get in the innermost part of you that dread that horror when you realize some deadline is approaching and you're not prepared some really bad thing is going to happen and you can't get out of it that feeling in the pit in the deepest part of who you are that this pain something is wrong that's how jesus felt when he saw the crowds he had compassion when you see the people of silicon valley When you see the crowds at the store, at the mall, at the sporting event, at the concert, at the high schools, at the colleges, large crowds of people, when you see them, what is your response? See, Jesus' response, right away it says he had compassion for them. And if you want to write down, if you're taking notes, you could write down Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, as new creations in Christ, one of the things that we should put on in living our new life in Jesus is we put on compassionate hearts, is what it says. So we're not just learning from the example of Jesus, but there is a command in Scripture that you and I would be people of compassion. And it says that when he saw the people, he had compassion. And here's why. Look at these two words here. They were harassed and helpless. Or maybe if you've got the uh, New American Standard Version there, it says uh, distressed and dispirited. Still two words, still using the same letter to kind of bring them together. But the idea, a very violent word here, to be harassed, to be bullied, and then helpless. I mean, we're talking about someone who is beaten up on the side of the road who cannot help themselves get up. That would be the idea these words would bring to mind. I think it would be a similar picture to Luke chapter 10 where we have the parable of the good Samaritan and someone has been beaten up by robbers and he's lighting on the side of the road and here comes the religious person who walks by and here comes another religious person who walks by and who is it that stops to help? It's the Samaritan and when the Samaritan saw the man harassed and helpless, beaten up on the side of the road, it says the Samaritan had what? Compassion for him. Compassion. Because you realize this man could not help himself and who was going to help this man. This man, as it says here in our description, these people that Jesus saw, the crowd, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And we all know how sheep are. If you're a a Bible student, a common analogy, sheep are stupid. Have Have we learned that from the scriptures? Is that what we know? As Isaiah 53 says that all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. That's what sheep do. They wander and they get into trouble and they get into dangerous situations. And when Jesus sees a group of human beings, he doesn't see them and start labeling based on the color of their skin or their age or how much money they have in their bank account. He sees past their sin and bones and he sees people as souls, lost souls who need a shepherd, who need someone to help them get up from the side of the road. What do you see when you see people? 
This is a glimpse into the way that Jesus Christ viewed people like us. And I am so concerned in our culture that when we see people, a lot of times we walk straight by them without even giving them a second thought. We barely even acknowledge many times their physical existence, much more the fact that they are a spiritual soul who is going to live for all of eternity, either in the presence of God or apart from him forever. We live in a drive through culture. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Where when I go out to stores and I start to buy things, right? When I go to Chick-fil-A, and I'm sorry to bring up Chick-fil-A on a, on a Sunday. I know that's a little rude. But, what, but when I go to Chick-fil-A, for example, I could start to view people like a drive through box is what I can start to treat them like. Like I've got my order and I'm going to give you this money and then you're going to tell me I got to turn my card around for the chip and we're going to go through this whole exchange and I'm going to start getting almost frustrated If you don't give me what I want, and almost like you don't even exist, you're just here to dispense for me what I need. That's a lot of times how we view people, if we're honest. I remember one time I was getting frustrated with somebody because they said it was their pleasure to serve me, but they didn't give me the Chick-fil-A sauce that I asked for. I don't know if you've ever been in this kind of uh, temptation, this kind of trial that I was going through, right? And here I am at, here I am, I am about to be upset with another soul because they forgot or didn't hear my request for Chick-fil-A sauce. And at that moment, I was convicted to see people as Jesus saw them. And I realized that this guy who was serving me was an eternal soul who would live forever. That he was much more than just flesh and bones in front of me, giving me what I want. No, he was someone who either knows the saving grace of Jesus Christ or is lost, is like a beaten up person on the side of the road, like a sheep with no shepherd. And I was pierced to my heart for thinking, how dare this guy not give me my Chick-fil-A sauce? And I looked around Chick-fil-A and I had this moment of powerful realization that every single person in that place was a soul. And that somebody needed to talk to every single soul in that Chick-fil-A and tell them that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Because they couldn't figure that out for themselves. And I wonder how you see people. Do you see them as souls? You know, I really started to learn how to see people like this right here in Silicon Valley. Pastor Cliff, he hired me to do the high school ministry. And eventually, as I was trying to learn how to love high schoolers and how to reach them with the gospel, that led me to the high school campuses. I spent a lot of lunch hours at Homestead High School and Mountain View High School and uh, the King's Academy. And I began to see, I don't know if you've ever been on a high school campus at lunchtime, But here they come, just crowds of them, sometimes by the hundreds and thousands, just talking about just energy everywhere. It can be intimidating uh, for some of us. And here they are. And eventually, all I could see was a sea of souls. And I was thinking, Lord, I can't talk to all of them. There's too many of them for one person to spread the gospel to so many people. Like Fremont High School, right here down the street. Maybe you drove by it. Hundreds of souls. 
And you start to see people for who they really are. How are we going to reach all of these people? That's what Jesus thought when he saw the crowd. And there was this sinking feeling. There was this compassion deep within him that there's so many people who need to know. And who's going to tell them? Now, if you're in Matthew chapter 9 with me, let's look at an example of the compassion of Jesus. Look at verse 27. Just go back. You don't have to go far to see Jesus treating people with compassion. And here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him. The blind men, and they cried aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. So we got two blind guys but it sounds like stalking Jesus here, shouting at him, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men, they came into the house. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. Good good chance of that, right? Two blind guys who can now see. Hey, guys, don't tell anybody that all of a sudden you can see now. Yeah, no, didn't work. Verse 31, they went away and spread his fame through all that district. I would imagine so. If you were blind and then you could see, I would imagine you'd be telling everybody how amazing, what a beautiful world we live in, you'd be telling everybody. Well, go, go to Matthew chapter 20 and look at this. Those weren't the only two blind men who stood by the road and they cried. There's another great thing uh, Pastor Cliff taught me. The blind man stood by the road. Anybody know that song from back in the day? That old song? Show me the way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I speaking to anyone here? Well, we got more blind men by the by the side of the road. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. This story is eerily similar to what we just read in Matthew chapter 9. But this is in Matthew chapter 20. So it's the same gospel. This isn't the telling of the same story in another gospel. No, this is something Matthew wants us to know. I think the blind men started to figure out something about Jesus that he cared. And as they heard that Jesus cared, as the word spread in the blind community, that there is someone who cares enough to stop and to talk to us and to give us sight, they probably all started to spread that story. And look what happens here. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. So here it is again, Jesus in the crowd. And behold, out of this great crowd of people, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out. See if this sounds familiar to you. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Oh, that sounds like the exact same thing the guys were shouting in Matthew chapter 9. I think the word was out on Jesus by this time. And the crowd rebuked them. Here's the crowd. Hey, what are you guys doing? Be quiet. We're trying to uh, look at Jesus and see Jesus. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, here's our word. This time it's translated pity here. In Jesus, in compassion, in pity, out of care, out of a place where he felt their pain. He touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and they followed Jesus. 
One thing we need to know about Jesus Christ is he cares about blind people. And you think to yourself, oh, yeah, if somebody was blind, of course I would care for them. If I saw a blind person on the side of the road, harassed and helpless, not knowing where they were going. See, wouldn't that be so cruel to just drive by a blind person? Wouldn't that be heartless? And insensitive to see a blind person wandering around, not knowing where they're going, and then to just not even care and to go by and not. So we all understand that right away, how cruel it would be not to be kind to the blind. Well, go to Second Corinthians chapter four with me and see what people are in their spiritual condition. Unless they have faith in Jesus Christ, unless he has opened their eyes, look what how it describes the people that you and I shop with and drive next to and live next door to. These are the people all around us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, start with me in verse 3. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. People who don't believe in Jesus. People apart from relationship with God. And it says, in their case, the God of this world. You guys tell me, who is the God of this world? Who are we talking about? We're talking about Satan here, the God of this world, Satan. This is verse four. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers and he is keeping them to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The people all around us. It says here, have been blinded from seeing the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ that you and I can see. And the question is, do we have compassion for people who are blind all around us? Do you and I care? See, a lot of times we think, well, I want to tell people the gospel and I want to preach them the Bible. And I hope that's true. I hope you really do want to do that. But sometimes people, they don't care what you know until they know that you care for them. What are you doing to show the harassed and helpless, the sheep without a shepherd? So many blind people in Silicon Valley who cannot see Jesus Christ. How are we being kind to them? How are we coming alongside of them? So many times we get angry at them. We get angry at them for superficial reasons because they're driving in the road in front of us going slow. A lot of times we get angry at them for spiritual reasons because we don't like the things that they're promoting. We don't like the sins that they're getting into. And we begin to think that America is really not becoming a very good place in California, Northern California, especially this area with all the secular and liberal ideas that are going on and all these people promoting their humanism and they don't believe in God. And we begin to view the people around us with condescension rather than compassion and we're not seeing the world like jesus saw when we're looking down on people do you have condescension towards people because they don't get jesus or do you have compassion for people because they can't see jesus how do you think about the people all around you See, it should break our hearts just like it did Jesus when he saw the crowds. And he actually redirects our focus here this morning. And he actually makes it very clear that the problem is not the crowd. Look at what the problem is. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. Please turn there with me to Matthew chapter 9. 
And I hope today that if someone is here and they are blind among us, I would hope that Jesus would open your eyes to see how awesome he is here this morning. But I think that there might be some who are nearsighted among us. Was anybody else here born nearsighted? I, I was born nearsighted. I had to use uh, glasses. Uh, Bruce, Berta, Bill, Bent, we all can't see very well, all right? Uh, and so we had to have glasses, and then I was stabbing my eyes with contacts. And some people from my church, they did an amazing thing. They, they gave me a gift of LASIK eye correction surgery. I don't know if you ever heard about this. Maybe some of you guys have had it. If you ever have the opportunity to have LASIK eye correction surgery, you should totally do it. Because I stand and I can see you very clearly. No contacts, no glasses. I was once nearsighted, but now I, I can see everybody. Okay. And I went into this surgery and, you know, I couldn't have my glasses with me or I couldn't have contacts in because they were going to do surgery on my eyes. And I went in and I remember shaking the doctor's hand and he's just this big kind of white, white blur right there. And then this lady comes forward and I can tell it's a lady only really by the sound of her voice. That's how bad my, my vision is. And she says, sir, would you like a teddy bear for the surgery? And I'm thinking to myself, what about this communicates teddy bear? You know what I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just not, I'm totally not seeing what she's talking about. Fast forward a few minutes later when I'm lying down on a table and they're burning my eye with a laser and I'm smelling my eyeball, the burning eyeball that's wafting up into smoke and I'm reaching desperately for any kind of teddy bear that would be around me, right? Right? And after the surgery, all of a sudden, wake up the next day, and I can see. And I realize how nearsighted I have been for a good part of my life. I'm more worried about what people are going to think about me than I am seeing people for who they really are before God. I'm more worried that this lady is going to think I'm a fool to take this teddy bear than I am for the reason I might actually need this teddy bear later on. See, I'm so focused on myself. And there's people all around me who are lost souls, perishing apart from God, and I don't even see it because I'm so nearsighted on me. And here's what Jesus says we're supposed to do about it. This is now what he, we don't just get a glimpse into what he sees. He says something to his disciples. And he says, the harvest is plentiful. Do you see all of the souls in Silicon Valley that need to be saved? Look at how plentiful the harvest is. But the laborers, the workers are few. Hey, the problem isn't with the crowd, you guys. Oh, yeah, they're harassed and helpless. They're beaten up on the side of the, the road. They need somebody to come by and, and somebody to, to shepherd them, to love them, to care for them. But the problem is we don't have enough laborers to go around. We don't have enough workers. Who's going to do the work with all of these souls? And so here's the command from Jesus to the disciples based on seeing the lost condition of the crowd. He says, we got to pray and we got to pray earnestly with a passion, with a zeal. And we got to pray because the Lord of the harvest, he want, he needs to send out laborers into his harvest. And we know the God who can save the lost souls of Silicon Valley. How much does our Father in heaven hear from you that you want him to save many lost people around here? 
and that you specifically are praying for more workers, more laborers to get out there into the harvest, the mission field, the, the area of lost souls, and that workers will get out there and God will send them out. Is that something that we're praying for? We want God, the Lord of the harvest. What a great description. I mean, do you believe that about God? Is that something we can we can testify that it is true, that he is the Lord of the harvest, that God has a mighty outstretched arm and he reaches out and he saves people and he draws them to his son, Jesus Christ. And once he holds you in his hand, he will never let go of you for all of eternity. I mean, he's the Lord of the harvest. So we've got a bunch of lost people, and then we've got a God who is ready to save. Let me ask you a question. Would God prefer to save or to judge people? What does the scripture teach us? That God desires all men, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he desires all men to be saved. That God is not willing that any would perish, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, but that all would reach repentance. We got a Lord of the harvest. He's ready to save souls. We got a bunch of souls out there that need to be saved. They can't even see how lost they are. And here's the problem between the Lord of the harvest and the souls that need to be saved. Well, we don't have enough laborers. The problem is us. That's the problem. The problem is people who fellowship at churches and can see the glory of Jesus Christ, but don't see the lost condition of the people around them. Or even worse, they see the lost condition of the people around them and they do nothing about the blindness. That's the problem. The problem is there aren't enough workers we need to pray for more gospel workers and as we're praying for more gospel workers some of us might become convicted and might realize that god wants to send you as a gospel worker go to mark chapter 1 verse 15 look at this with me this is jesus when he begins his ministry and mark is the shortest of the four gospels so mark gives it to us very concise And after the introduction, which is short here in chapter 1, about uh, John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus and Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, when Jesus begins his ministry, read it with me in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Look at it with me. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. Here he goes, starting doing the same thing it says in our text, Matthew chapter 9, proclaiming the gospel of God. The gospel means the good news. We got news that is good for lost souls that Jesus saves. We got to go and proclaim it. And here's the summary of what Jesus said. The time is fulfilled. Now's the time. And the kingdom of God is at hand. You want to be a part of the kingdom of God? You want to have eternal life of the age to come? Here it is. Repent. And believe in the gospel. If you wanted to summarize the message of Jesus Christ to the lost world around us, I would use these words right here. In fact, I would call them the three most important words. Repent and believe in the gospel. Gospel, repentance, and faith. So let's say that today you end up in a conversation with somebody and you're seeing them as an eternal soul. Like you make a conscious effort to look past their skin and their bones and their wrinkles and their freckles. And you try to see this person as an eternal soul that will live forever with God an eternal life or will perish apart from God for forever. And you're trying to think about them that way. And what if somebody said to you today, how do I get saved? 
How do I become a Christian like you? How do I know Jesus Christ? Would you know today, right now, what to say to that person? Could you have a salvation conversation? Could you have a conversation with a blind person and God could speak through you and use you knowing the truth of the scripture, the good news of the gospel, that by the end of the conversation with you, I'm not talking about Pastor Cliff right now. I'm talking about you. Could you help someone do what it says right here? Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, if we're going to be laborers, if we're going to be workers for the Lord of the harvest, if we're going to be sent out, then we all need to be equipped to have those kinds of conversations. And I know that we're teaching the gospel here at Grace Bible Fellowship. I know there's even evangelism classes that you can be a part of. Are you one of the workers out in the fields for the Lord Jesus Christ? That we, I try to break it down uh, about these three most important words. Repent and believe in the gospel. And if you're taking notes, could you just write those three words down? Gospel, repentance, and faith. How would you explain? How would you define those words to somebody else? This is, this is the content that we have to know. In fact, here's, here's really my, my uh, challenge, I guess, for the, for the members of the body here. My challenge would be, could you use a scripture? What scripture would you use to explain to someone the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not you, just you explaining it with your words, but where in the Bible? Would you go to say, hey, let me teach you the gospel. Let's go here. And you would show it to someone, not from your words, but from the word of God. What passage would you use for the gospel? I am amazed how many people uh, tell me they are Christians. And all I, I'm, I'm kind of an annoying person. When you tell me you're a Christian, I get excited about it. You know what I mean? You tell me you believe in Jesus, and I think like we're long-lost brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord, right? And I'll start asking you questions like, when did you repent? Hey, I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. I'm so excited to hear that. When did you repent? And they look at me like I'm speaking a different language. I mean, seriously. Oh, I'm a Christian. Awesome. When did you repent? I mean, that's what Jesus says to do right here. I mean, when John the Baptist came preaching, he started with one word over and over. Repent, he said. When Jesus came preaching, he had one word that he led off with, like here. Repent. The apostles in the book of Acts, which I know you guys have been studying, when they started preaching and people are like, what do we do? How do we respond? How do I get saved? What were they saying? Repent. When Martin Luther nails his 95 theses on the Wittenberg door, what's the first of all the 95 theses? Repent. And I got people running around claiming to be Christians and they don't even know what the word repent means. They look at me like they've never even heard it. That's because the workers aren't doing their job. That's because we're not communicating what Jesus said. We don't need to make up other words. We don't need to find new ways to say it. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you today with somebody who's blind and can't see, can you explain to them these three most important words that God could use to open their eyes? The gospel, repentance, 
and faith. If you're taking notes, let me just give you a few passages to start with. I, I, the passages I like to use as I'm talking to blind people all around me, I use 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4 to explain the gospel message that the Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Repentance, I like to use Acts 26, 20 as a great passage where it talks about repenting, turning to God, that about face, that 180 degree turn, and then you prove your repentance by your deeds or faith. Hopefully there's lots of passages about faith. Do we realize how many people, even down this street right here, right down this street, how many people are trusting in their own goodness to think that they're going to go to heaven? How many people right down this street think because they prayed a prayer or did this work or got baptized, that's the reason they'll be able to enter the pearly gates and walk down the streets of gold? Let me just tell you, there is nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves. Jesus died for us on the cross and he rose again. And that good news, we trust in that. Our faith is in the gospel. We are saved by grace, not by works. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I know that. I've heard that in the Bible. No, it's another to have it on the tip of your tongue. See, that this law of the Lord might not depart from your mouth because there's blind people. I mean, we're living in a world of blind people. And if we can see, we need to come alongside of the blind and we need to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, that if they turn from their sins and if they trust in Jesus Christ, he will open up their eyes. To a whole new realm of life. Oh, if only we could have a few more workers for the gospel. And I think that's really what God is going to think as he looks over. As we celebrate 10 years here at this church, he's not just looking to see how many people are here today. How many members are here today? No, if Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, could see into the hearts here today, I think the question really is, how many laborers do we have for the gospel? How many workers do we have? Who here is caring about the spiritual condition of lost people? Because once you start doing that kind of ministry, man, it it really your ministry is limited by how many workers you have. See, Pastor Cliff, he taught me a lot about how to do high school ministry. And we just started to scratch the surface in the high schools around here. I remember we started doing this club at, at Mountain View High School. And we were there at King's Academy. And we started preaching the Bible through these studies that we were doing on those campuses. And I grew up in Orange County. And I remember one day uh, when God moved us down there, I, I counted up and there were like 15 different high schools right by our church in Orange County. Just a ton of high schools. I mean, high schools with two, three thousand people. And I said, God, we got to reach all of these schools. And so we started praying and we started making disciples and we started preaching the word. And God, he started to do an amazing work in this youth group that I was a part of where young people, I'm talking about teenagers, not not mature Christians who've known the word for for decades. I'm saying young people, people who've been Christians for a year or two would go to their high school. They would start a club on campus. They would gather around. They would offer free pizza or free sandwiches. And the crowd would gather and they would see those people with compassion. And they would start to just to say, hey, you need to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we started to see the Lord of the harvest saving the souls. And it can work even with young people. 
And they started coming to the church. And I realized that what was going to limit our youth ministry, how many leaders could I get in the room that were equipped to disciple, to have these conversations with all of the young people that God was bringing? How many gospel workers, how many laborers? That was really the problem. And I'm sure the youth ministry here, the college ministry here, as they're trying to reach the schools, all the ministries here, as we're trying to reach out, they're going to be limited. How many laborers for the gospel do we have here? That's going to be the key to the next 10 years of this church. See, what would happen is the young people, we would we would offer them these free food, these fun events, and they would come gather. And and then we would start just preaching this this message. And it was a very simple message. Repent and believe in the gospel. We would explain what that meant. And I had leaders, and so we would break up at the end, and there were enough leaders to break up into groups of three, four, five, and young people would start to pour out their hearts. And one night, this guy named Matt Shu, this young kid, he came to the church, and a leader just really gave him the gospel. And that night, right there, he believed in the gospel as a freshman in high school. And he started going to this school, San Clemente High School down there in Orange County. And he started to think that if he went to school and he started to share with other people at his school what he had learned, it would be like this ripple effect and we'd continue to see more people get saved. And it's so crazy because it was at San Clemente High School where I was walking one day and everybody was getting in and out of their locker and they didn't have the big lockers or not even the half size lockers. They had those little small lockers where you could just put a few books because the school was so overcrowded with thousands of students. And as the kids are getting their books in and out of these little small lockers, it reminded me of one of those TV shows that we've seen where we go into the morgue and that's the place where we put all the dead bodies. And here's everybody getting their books. And I I was just thinking, Lord, all of these young people, they're dead in their sins. How can I talk to all of them? And then God saves this guy, Matt Shu, and he starts going to school and he starts preaching the gospel. And some of these other dead souls, the Lord starts to wake them up. Well, I met Matt's parents and his mom. She was an on-fire Christian and his dad, he was just kind of hanging around. He was a good guy, but he didn't really want to be there at church, it seemed to me. And one day his mom all of a sudden got very sick and she was in the hospital and I went to visit her and her skin was was yellow and it was very concerning. And I thought something was wrong, except she acted so normal and all she wanted to talk about was how we were planting this church in Huntington Beach and how her son was reaching people at San Clemente. All this lady could talk about was the gospel going out and people getting saved. And uh, I got a call from her husband, Scott, the very next day and he said, I don't think my wife's going to make it. I don't think she's going to make it through the end of the day. And I need you to go pick up Matt from San Clemente High School. And I need you to bring him to the hospital here so he can talk to his mom one more time before she dies. And so I go to pick up Matt. And I have to go prove that I know who Matt is. And we get him called out of class. And the first thing that Matt says when he sits down with me in my car as we drive to the hospital so he can see his mom one last time is he says, if my mom dies, I really hope my dad gets saved. It's the first thing he says. And we go that day and his mom does die. And I keep trying to build this rapport with this guy named Scott, his dad, because I hear those words of Matt echoing in my mind. And I want God to see. I want him to get saved, but nothing happens. And then one day I show up at the church. This was right before we were going to plant our church in Huntington Beach. And I preach Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty five to thirty eight. And I say, you got to start seeing people like Jesus sees them. 
You've got to start seeing people, not on the outside, but as souls who need to be saved. And this guy, Scott, the very next week was the first day of our church, and we're there early, and we're setting it up, our brand-new church plan. And this guy, Scott, he shows up three hours early for church. And it's like, Scott, what are you doing here? And he says, I came to be a worker, he says. He says, something happened to me this week. I walked into Chick-fil-A, and all I could see were souls. And that day, he became a worker. And now for two years, we've been striving side by side for the gospel in Huntington Beach. He's moving from San Clemente to Huntington Beach because he wants to be a part of the work that is going on at the church because he wants to reach souls for Christ. When you see the crowds, what do you see? I hope you see them with compassion as our Lord Jesus Christ sees you. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for giving us this vision of what Jesus Christ saw when he saw the crowds how he had compassion for them, how he saw them as souls who needed to be harvested. And God, how he instructed us to pray for laborers. God, I'm here today to give you the glory for the good work that you are doing, for the good work of your son, Jesus Christ, to build up the body here at Grace Bible Fellowship. God, and we praise you for the souls that you've saved. And we praise you for the brothers and sisters here. But God, I pray that we would be workers in your harvest field here in Silicon Valley, God. And I pray that we would have a deep and sinking feeling in the pit of our bowels that there are so many blind who cannot see the glory of Jesus Christ and that we would have compassion for them and that we would be the ones, the workers, the laborers who would get out there and get to know people and love people and we would tell them to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we pray that there will be a great harvest of souls through the ministry of this church. And we pray that you will send out laborers here from this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.